You people have been chosen to reveal our existence to the world. You will witness what happens here today, and you will tell of it later. This is going to be a new section that I've already added on to the additional two sections that I talked about in previous episodes. This is the St. Longinus podcast. There's no episode number, but this particular section is what I'm going to entitle Random Thoughts. These random thoughts are going to be broadcast whenever the Holy Ghost moves me to make them. Um, there's going to be no prayer in so far as I'm, if I feel moved to say a prayer, I'm going to right now. I really want to get this out there. As I said in previous episodes, I got to treat this like I could die tomorrow. Um, you know, we used to say in the Protestant church, tomorrow's not promised to you. And, you know, even a broke clock is right twice a day. Um, we're not promised tomorrow. So, you know, I could have let this slide for another time. But I really feel it's, it's important to get this out here. The reason, or oh, I'm sorry, I'm going to go back. Um, so basically, this, the reason I'm putting this out here today at this time um, a lot of you may not remember the reference, even if you're old enough, because this was not a mainstream movie back in the late 70s, early 80s. There was a movie by Gary Marshall back in, I think it was 79 or 80, called The Warriors. Now, those of you who are unaware, Gary Marshall was the guy who wrote Laverne and Shirley. And uh, I believe he or no, I'm sorry. He may not have written Laverne and Shirley. He had something to do with it. He ended up marrying Perry, uh, Penny Marshall Laverne. Not that that matters. I just thought I'd let you guys know that. It seemed a little interesting. Anyway, so basically, the movie The Warriors, what it is about, it's about a New York street gang. I think they're from the Bronx. And... The head, well, I'm, I'm sorry. Yeah, the head of the toughest, biggest gang, in, street gang. Uh, I'm not talking mafioso. I'm talking about street gang. He puts out the word that he wants every gang in New York, in Central Park, at a certain time, at a cer- uh, on a certain uh, night. And he's going to give them their marching orders. And so every street gang from New York shows up to this park. Now, this this uh this this leader, he basically tells them. He says, "Look guys, we're fighting for the crumbs. We're fighting for the crumbs, man. If we all get together and we fight the powers that be, we could take over this city. 
We can literally take over the city, but we've got to band together and we've got to fight. And while he's giving this, this impassioned speech, I mean, it, you know, there, there are thousands of gang members in, the, in Central Park listening to this. And while he's giving this, this speech, uh, a rival gang member, you, you know, he's got a, a little tiny gang and, you know, he's, he's, he's a jealous little punk, you know, he hates this dude, he fears him. And he decides to take him out. So what he does is, is he takes out a gun, you know, he stands toward the front of the crowd and he just empties his, his pistol into the gang leader. Now, nobody saw him do this. He's in the middle of a crowd, but nobody saw what he did. All they saw was their leader giving a speech and gunshots and he's down. So... The gangs, they were pretty fired up from the speech. And then their, their, their leader gets, well, not their leader leader, but, you know, the guy giving the speech gets murdered in front of their eyes. And they're like, what the heck, man? What, what's going on here? Why did this happen? And so they're, they're out for blood, man. They, they are literally out for blood, man. We, we're going to find these guys and we're going to waste them. Now, the little idiot in question the guy who fired the shots, realizes he just put a death warrant on his own head. And being a sneaky, conniving little punk, he decides to frame another gang leader. Now, this gang leader is the gang leader of a, a, a gang called the Warriors. And like the other dude, he's a small, you know, he has a small gang or whatever. And you got to remember, this is Central Park. These guys are from the Bronx. So they're a long way from home. I mean, they are a long way from home. Well, the reason why the little punk framed this particular gang leader was because, you know, basically he's a punk. He's, he's a little uh, piss pants. And, and, you know, he, he hates and fears this dude. And he had tried to get this dude to get together with him and, you know, make, uh, combine their gangs and make their gangs one with him at the top. And, of course, this dude, you know, he's a leader, man. He, he, he's a leader. He, he thinks this guy's full of crap. And so when he came to him with this, with this offer, he's like, dude, go scratch your butt, man. I, I, you know, go pound sand. I'm not having nothing to do with it. And if you come back, I'm going to kick you and your gang's ass. Yes, I'm swearing. Get over it. Well, so after little punk realizes, oh, I've, I've put a warrant out on my head. If anyone finds out what I've just done, they're going to smoke me. He, he turns around and he puts out a rumor that it was this other gang leader who rightfully told him to go pound sand because, you know, the guy looked right through him. I mean, absolutely looked right through him. Like, you know, he, he looked right through him. He, he knew exactly what this dude was about. He knew exactly what this dude was about. Well, anyway, so these guys are in Central Park. 
it's midnight, <laughs> which even if you're in a street gang in New York in the late 70s was not a place you wanted to be in New York City in late 1979, you know, 80s. You didn't want to be there. But And this rumor has gone around that these guys have murdered this, this, uh, this top dog. And so everybody's gunning for him. And the whole rest of the movie is how these guys are trying to get back from Central Park back to the Bronx where there's relative safety because, you know, it's still local neighborhoods and whatnot. Um, you know, it's not like people are going to march into their local neighborhoods and get them. You know, they've got protection of friends and neighborhoods, but first they got to get home. And so the whole rest of the movie is, is they've got all these rival street gangs trying to waste them. And at the same token, while all this is going on, they've got the little punk. He's got his little personal vendetta against their leader. And he's doing what he can because he wants revenge on their leader. He wants revenge. Like most punks, you know, when he gets told, oh, by the way, you're nothing but a little bitch. And we're going to, you know, we're going to tell you to your face. They, they hold that personally. They hold it personally. Oh, he called me. He called me a little bitch. I, I don't like that. I'm going to hurt him. So they've got all that going on. They're trying to get home. Now, while they're trying to get home, there's a faceless DJ in the background. She's faceless. All she can see is her mouth. And uh, this must have something to do with late 70s culture. Um, I was born, in, or I was around in the late 70s, but I never grew up in a major city, so I don't know how this works. But basically, she's obviously in a studio, and she's obviously a DJ. But she's got connections to all the gang members in New York City. So while... She in between of her broadcasts of playing music, she's giving a running commentary of the local uh, of the rumors and stuff that are going around about the local street gangs. And of course, you know when when the when the the top the top gang member got shot. She starts talking about that, and then the rumor comes out about the Warriors, and um, she starts talking about them, and she's just basically narrating the movie, or what you know, what what's going to happen, you know, who who's going after the Warriors and trying to you know waste them before they can get home. Now, the reason I'm bringing up an obscure late '70s movie is because. Um, I kind of view this podcast as kind of like that. We're all trapped behind enemy lines and we're trying to get home. And I view myself as the friendly voice out there in, in, the, in the void, as it were, trying to encourage and warn you, hey, you know, look out for this, you know, Bad things are going to happen. You know, look out for that. Do this, do that. You know, hey, you know, what you're doing is righteous. 
keep doing it, you know, whatever. But I, I, I like to, I like to um, flatter myself into thinking I'm that voice. You know, I don't know where any of you guys are at, you know, in, in your day-to-day existence or in your spiritual life. But I like to, I like to flatter myself that somehow my message is getting out there to you guys. Now, to some of you who have been listening to this podcast, you might be scratching your head or you might be righteously angry and thinking to yourself, well, wait a minute, this guy has gone like 17 podcasts without cursing and all of a sudden he's using curse words. Well, for one thing, um, I I don't curse as a general rule. Um, That's one of the things I'm working on. But sometimes it is necessary to use a curse word in order to put special emphasis on what you're trying to say. Okay? And it's not something I plan on doing on a every occasion. I don't plan on using curse words on every episode. But in this particular situation, I decided that curse words were going to be necessary. So if, if you are um, very um, sensitive to that, um, you can go ahead and, you know, you don't have to listen to this particular podcast or, uh, I'm sorry, episode, but I, I'm just telling you out here flat out, um, you know, I, I'm, I'm not, I'm not Mr. Clean here. Okay. I'm not Mr. Clean. Sometimes, you know, I say things and I, I, I say crude and brutal things to, for emphasis, Okay, for emphasis, to make sure that, you know, you're shocked out of your complacency and you start listening. And by the way, really smart people will say things out of character to get you to listen. You know, they will say things that you're like, wait a minute, what did he just say? You know, you're sitting in your lethargy. Uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. He's saying, uh, what, 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 what? He said this? Why? And then you start listening. So that's my principle. Now, the reason that I feel compelled, and I, li- I, I literally picked up my phone and started recording as I speak, is, beca- is because um, I, I just... Call call it what you will, but I had an epiphany. And I decided that I need to talk about our enemy. Now, for you guys who military history or philosophy doesn't interest you, I'm going to give you a quick background in this book. It's called On War. Now, to my knowledge, On War, and I'm not talking about Von Clausewitz's On War. Oh, I'm sorry. It's not On War. Von Clausewitz did write the book On War. I'm talking about The Art of War, which is Sun Tzu. Sun Tzu, uh, his book is supposedly the oldest book on war on record. 
that has survived. Obviously, it's not the oldest book on record, but it's the oldest book on the art of war that has ever uh, that has survived human existence. And his first maxim in this book, and by the way, if you can't tell who Sung Tzu is, he, he's a Chinese warlord. I couldn't give you the history of when he was a Chinese warlord, but it was a long time ago. His first maxim on war is, know your enemy. Now, on war, or I'm sorry, the art of war, I, I, I've got to be a little more careful about this. The art of war, it's basically written from, you know, obviously a, a worldly perspective. In other words, this is a book to any perspective warlord who decides that he wants to carve out his own little kingdom. And the thing of it is, is that some of the things that are written for secular purposes can be used in the spiritual realm. If you have the right mindset. Well, let's just take his first maxim of know your enemy. Well, in the spiritual sense, if you are a Christian, I'm not talking atheism. If you're a Christian, who's your enemy? The Bible and Christianity make that quite clear. Actually, it's a two-edged sword. Not only is your enemy Satan and his legions of, of demons, but it is also yourself. You are your own worst enemy, in, not just in, in the secular realm, where you will do dumb things in, 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 in your day-to-day -day existence that are going to come back and bite you, but in the, in the spiritual realm, too. You're, you're going to do dumb things or... Out of ignorance, you're going to do things. And because you're not just fighting uh, a spiritual enemy, you're also fighting yourself, which is also part of the spiritual battle. Um, it may come back and bite you. Now, um, the reason... In this particular episode, I'm, I'm, I'm just going to be talking about our main enemy, which is Satan. Um, maybe if I decide to do an off-the-top-of-my-head podcast, I'll talk about, you know, the spiritual battles which we have with ourselves, which, you know, this is why in earlier broadcasts I said you got to know yourself before you embark upon this. But what I want to what I want to impress upon you guys with all the most urgency that I can is that we are in a spiritual battle. Okay? We are in a spiritual battle. And we have to treat this as a war. Not a war of tanks, planes, missiles, governments, um soldiers and generals and sergeants and captains we're not that that's a that's a that's a secular war we're in a spiritual war but the principles are basically the same and before you can embark upon a war first of all you have to know who your enemy is and that you're at war 
you know, there are different types of warfare. And without this turning into some sort of military thing, which is I'm not interested in doing, I just want to tell you guys that um I just I just want to give you guys, you know, we are at war, guys. We are at war. And you know, I'm sure there's some people out there saying, well, no, duh. We got people rioting in the street, you know, trying to overthrow whatever country's government happens to be in power wherever you live or, you, you know, whatever. But it's a spiritual war as well. And a lot of us are running around with no body armor, no weapon, no, no helmet, you know, no weapons and we're wandering around, you know, and, and our enemy is basically immobilized us. He's basically immobilized us. We're running around like chickens with our heads cut off because we don't know we're at war and we don't know the principles of spiritual warfare. Now I intend on keeping this because it is kind of a rant I intend on keeping this kind of short. And like I said, you know, in the future, when I feel moved, I will say things, you know, whether or not you find them useful or not is up to you and your particular spiritual state. But I plan on, you know, in the future, but it's when it's when the Holy Ghost tells me to not when I feel like doing it. Our enemy is Satan and his command of demons. That's his army. Now, let's go back to the first principle. Who is our enemy? Now, when I say who is our enemy, oh, obviously it's Satan, right? No, 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 no. Go beyond, go beyond the surface. That's his title. That's his title. Who is he? According to, to Catholic teachings, Satan was one of, uh, I think, if I'm not mistaken, he was the first angel God created. And he was the most powerful of the angels. And basically, through his sin of pride, uh, there, there, there is a traditional te uh, Catholic teaching, at least I'm pretty sure it is, that basically when God made man, he, he told the angels, he said, hey, look, these guys are going to judge you. These guys, you know, these are, these creatures, I'm sorry, these creatures that I've created, you know, they, they are my special creatures. Not that we should be, you know, God created everything. Not that human beings in and of themselves are the most important thing that God ever did. It isn't. But what I'm saying is, he basically told the angels, hey, look, you guys are going to have to give these human beings some uh, respect. And Satan, being prideful, said, hey, go pound sand, God. I'm an angel. I'm all that. Don't tell me to give these, these, these beings, which are limited the same kind of respect that I would give a fellow angel more or less myself. 
Okay. Now, there's a reason I'm bringing this up. Satan hates you. And this world is his dominion. Whether you like it or not, this is his dominion. All the the pain and the misery and the hatred and the injustices that you see going around you in your life, if you're smart enough to see them, these are not God's doings. These are Satan's doings. Okay? These are Satan's doings. You know, all you all you uh, ignorant people out there who think that God, you know, all the, the pain that you feel right now is God, it's not. And by the way, I'm not I'm not throwing stones. It took me it took me over 50 years to figure this out. It took me over 50 years to figure this out. No, this this is not God's doing. As a matter of fact, if you turn your life over to God, he will take the most hateful thing that ever happened to you. And if you turn it over to him completely, he's going to show you. He's, 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 he's going to turn that pain into either a teaching tool or he, he, something great is going to come out of that. Okay? Something great is going to come out of that. But this is his realm. Okay? This is his realm. Now... When I say who is Satan, it's it's not a it's not a superficial question. Satan is the most ancient of God's creations, and his demons are the most ancient of creations. Now I'm not a theological guy, so I can't say what his under his, his his demons his followers i can't say what they know and they don't know but i can say that satan he has the intelligence of a spirit now you got to remember that we're human beings we are finite we are finite we have we have human bodies we have uh we have limitations a spirit uh, does not have this uh does not have the limitations that we do they do not have the limitations we do so when if they decide to go after you they're they're not bound by time and space so they can watch you. From the moment of birth to the moment of death. And because they are supernaturally intelligent. It, it, it's like having the world's smartest computer going against you. And when I say smartest. Without getting too deep in the weeds. I just mean a computer. that With the smartest AI you've ever considered. Who can monitor your thoughts and your reactions. And then use that against you at a later time 
or in the present time, if it so desires. Okay? So, these, these beings, they're going to take whatever your weakest spot is. Wherever you are weakest at, they know it. Now, I want to make one thing clear before I go any further. I'm not putting angels, or for that matter, their leader, Satan, on the same plane as God. God made the angels. Therefore, he is above them. He is massively above them. So, no, they, you know, and, and I will get to another point here in a minute, but basically, they, they, they are not on the same, on the same par as God. But they are, they, they, they are immensely powerful beings. Now, I kind of got off track because my mind tends to wander. But with Satan, like I said, I don't know about the other demons. I don't know if they're aware that they're fighting a lost cause. But, and by the way, I don't claim to have any special knowledge of the workings of, you know, how could I, uh, of, a, of a top angel, even if he is fallen. I don't claim to have that knowledge. Um, you know, I'm not that guy. But given what little, little knowledge I do have leads me to believe, and I could be completely wrong about this, but I basically, I'm going to let the theologians thrash this particular issue out. I believe that Satan knows, he, he, he knows the battle's lost. Now, for those of you who listen to political YouTubers, you will hear them talk about how the people who are behind the Great Reset have a giant computer. Well, maybe not giant, but they have a computer wherever, they, wherever it is they plot whatever nefarious deeds they want to inflict upon the world. And this computer has, they've done the computer models because I guess, you know, that's what you do with computers. You have a computer model and it tells you what the outcome of certain scenarios did. I have a passing familiarity with this because in the 80s, they started introducing this technology into the U.S. military and they were using it as part of war games back in the 80s when the U.S. government was trying to figure out how a war against Soviet Union would work out. And so these programs and these computers do exist. But according, if you listen to these guys, according to them, these great reset guys, they basically um, have, have written these programs to figure out like how the great reset is ultimately going to work out on the whole world. Because the great reset, a lot of people think it's localized, you know, it's only going to be for Western Europe or America. Um, that's not how my research has panned out. My research is, is this is going to be worldwide. I don't care if you're living in some hut in Tanzania 
or if you're living in some bamboo hut in Vietnam, the end result for the entire human race is it's going to vary in details, but the end result's going to be the same. Okay. Anyway, these guys say that their computer models have said, have told them, no, this is not going to work. You guys are playing with fire. You're going to start a huge, a huge fire that you're not going to like. Now, obviously, I don't know if they take this seriously. Um, obviously, I'm not in the ends with these people. Because if I were, I wouldn't be talking to you, obviously. But... I don't, so I don't know what their reaction to this to this bit of news is. And, and as long as we're on that subject, um, I don't even know if they're taking this this particular bit of news seriously. And if they are taking it seriously, I, I'm not I'm not I don't understand why they would let this bit of news get out even even in the limited way it has out into the public and basically the internet is public because this is people are saying that they, that they've read reports on the internet. So I, I, I don't know. Um, I don't know how this information got out, but that's, that's what the rumor mill is saying that basically this is not going to end well for the people that are trying to do this. Well, and, and by extension, it isn't going to end well for us as human beings either. Because however this goes down, it's, it's going to be worse than anything we've ever seen. Anyway, to get back to my original point, talking about the guy who's behind everything, Satan. And, you know, you can call it conspiracy theory, call it what you want. He's the king of this world. Nothing goes down in this world that he doesn't know about and that he doesn't have a hand in. Now, without getting in too deep in the theological weeds, before, because like I said, Satan's not on par with God. You'll, you'll get some people who got the mistaken impression that they're equals. They're not. God, God is in control. So, um... But Satan can't, he can't budge a finger without running it by God first. And for those of you who want an idea of what I'm talking about, read the book of Job in the Old Testament. Read the book of Job. And that's all I'm going to say as far as that goes. So anyway, um, what I'm saying is, is, I, I can't speak for his for the demons that are underneath Satan, but I've got a pretty good idea. Satan knows his goose is cooked. He knows he's lost. But he also knows that those who are not under God's protection are under his control. So as many people as he can get under his control, he can, he can take the hell with him. He can take the hell with him. And that's what he's going to do. Because if any being, imagine, imagine all the malevolence, all the hatred, all the anger 
all the angst in the entire world. Heck, take it beyond that. Take it a hundred Earths. All that, all that negative, all that negativism, and multiply it times a hundred, and you have what Satan feels toward the human race. And here's the thing, you know, um, any kind of negative consequences that you experience through sin, any negative consequences that you experience through sin, Satan multiplies that. He multiplies it more than you know. Because you know, and here's the thing, Satan knows, or in my idea, I think he knows, that the, that the souls that he takes down to hell with him are under his dominion for eternity, okay? Now, like I said, I'm not a theologian, and I'm, you know, I'm not, I'm not connected in on, on what's going to happen after after the world ends. I'm, I'm not connected in with all that. But. He. He wants to. In, in addition to the pain. That you will feel when you go to hell. In addition to that. And according to the Bible. The fire. Uh, hell is a fire that will not be quenched. So imagine. Being in the middle of the hottest fire you can imagine. The hottest fire I can imagine would be a nuclear explosion. Imagine being in a nuclear explosion where you don't die. You literally do not die. You're for 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 forever, for forever. You're feeling the heat of a nuclear you're you're in the middle of Hiroshima after the first bomb dropped. Forever. Okay, but in addition to that, Satan wants to make sure. Satan wants to make absolutely sure that he inflicts as much pain and as much damage on you as he possibly can before he gets sent there himself. That's how malevolent this guy is. He's not just satisfied. You know, the the fact that you may be unhappy that, you know, and by the way, you know, the, the, I want to put this out here and I purposely keep my, uh, try to keep my an anonymity as best as I can, but let me, let me try to encourage those of you who may be listening to this and tell you that I I is as limited as a human being can be. I do have a certain amount of empathy for whatever it may be you're going through. You have a divorce. Your wife took the kids. You've got crushing child support payments. Your boss is a jackass who doesn't appreciate you and treats you like a piece of garbage every chance he gets. I have empathy for those of you who are going to high school and you're the nerd, you're awkward. People think you're a dork and they treat you as such. I have empathy for those of you who are struggling with 
you know, meth addiction, uh, heroin addiction, um, you know, who, 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 who may be in, uh, sold into sex slavery. Um, obvious, well, there, there, there are guys who go through sex, sex slavery too. For those of you who've been molested, for those of you who've been physically, mentally abused by your parents, by those of you who are neglected, you know, and, and here's the thing, you know, some people think that, well, neglect only happens when you're a kid. No, neglect happens at all points in your life. In one of the positions I was at, I was working in a hospital and I had a chance to meet some of the elderly patients while I was working there. And I had talked to some of these people. They had led regular normal lives or as normal as this earth will allow a normal life. They had, they had gone to high school, graduated, gotten a job. Worked 40, 60, 70 hours a week, busting their humps, provided for their kids. Their kids grew up, moved away, and either they got divorced or maybe their wife died. And their kids never came around to visit them. And in, to add insult to injury, not only did their kids not come around and visit them, after their lives basically blew up in their faces, but they contracted serious illnesses where they could no longer take care of themselves. And they're stuck in a hospital with no one to talk to. And their kids still won't come visit them. Just imagine that. Imagine how, how heart-wrenchingly heartbreaking that must be. That you raise these kids from little kids. Now, some of you may say, well, maybe the guy was a jerk. Maybe, maybe the guy was a real a-hole. Well, okay. Let's, let's take that scenario. In my mind, unless your dad was physically, or mother for that matter, physically or sexually abusing you as a kid... The very least you can do for giving you a roof over your head and food on the table and clothes to wear is at least visit them when they're physically disabled in a hospital amongst a bunch of strangers. Um anyway, I kinda I kinda got a little sidetracked there. But this is a rant, so it is what it is, as the kids say. I just want to assure you guys that are listening to this. I, you know, I, I don't claim to, to know every pain and every, you know, everybody's different. Everybody has their own life paths. I, I don't claim to know all the pain that people go through. But I've had my share of it, and I, you know... I just wanted to assure you guys, I empathize. I really do. And sometimes, you know, I, I do understand because I used to be of this mindset that because because I, I liken it and you talk to any vet, they'll tell you, uh, especially a combat vet, you know, people say thank you for your service. 
And to me, when, you know, people, I, I'll wear my, for, uh, my army hat or whatever, and people, oh, thank you for your service, bro. To me, when people say that, it's them trying to be nice. They're trying to be nice. You know, they're trying to show you, hey, we appreciate it. But it's the same, to me at least, to me it's the same thing as when you bump into a stranger at your five and dime and you say, oh, have a nice day, man. Have a nice day. It's the same thing. It's a meaningless pleasantry. It really is. At the end of the day, it's a meaningless pleasantry. It, it doesn't mean anything. You know, uh, for a man who's been married for 50 years and his wife dies and he's been married to her since he was a teenager and he, that's all he's ever known is his wife and she's dead. How, how is have a nice day going to help him in his day-to-day -day existence? It is a nice expression. It's a nice thing to say, but that's not going to take away his pain. That's not going to take away his sorrow. Now, I'm not saying you shouldn't, you know, give out pleasantries. I'm not saying that. I'm just saying, um, you know, basically, um, being nice is not the same thing as being empathetic. Now, people say, I give you my sympathy. Well, sympathy is all well and good. But I can feel sorry for the, uh, the relatives of a plane crash victim or a murder victim or a rape victim. Oh, I could give sympathy to a rape victim or a, a, a victim of a child sex trafficking ring. You know, I can... I can I could sympathize and say, man, that, that really sucks. You know, I'm, I'm sorry to hear that, but that's all I can do. I, I can tell you, Hey man, I think that sucks, but that's all I can do. Empathy on the other hand is, is telling somebody I haven't quite been through what you've been through, but I can assure you that, I understand. I've I've had some very deep pains of my own, and um, what can I do to help you out? What can I do to help you out? And basically, this is my way of trying to help you guys out. This is this is my own limited way. And trust me, people, if you knew me in real life, you'd realize that. I'm a very, very, very limited person. <laughs> very limited. But, you know, God does not expect us to move mountains unless he wills it himself. What he does expect of us, though, is to um, do what we can in our own way. And here's the, here's the thing that's, that makes God so wonderful. When they talk about God is love, this is, this is the point where I'm going to get to when they say God is love. This is what they mean. Since God made you and knows you more intimately than you know yourself, he, he knows what you're capable of. And he's not going to expect you to do things that you are not capable of personally, either through circumstances, temperament, heredity, circumstances, 
whatever the case may be, if he knows, you know, he knows your limitations, so he's not going to expect the impossible out of you. But he will if you make, you know, if you show a willingness to meet him halfway, he'll, he'll meet you halfway. He will literally meet you halfway, man. And he will help you overcome those. Now, I know I've gone a little far afield of our enemy. Our enemy, and I haven't forgotten, is Satan. So we're talking about, you know, basically, basically, I liken Satan to the Terminator. Now, I don't know how many of you have seen the original Terminator, but the guy from the future is trying to tell the, 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 the mother of the guy who is going to overthrow the Terminator rule. He, he tries to tell her, Hey, look, you can't bargain with this thing. You cannot make deals. It doesn't feel sympathy. It doesn't feel pity. And that's Satan, except with the added element that in the Terminator, we're talking about a machine. A machine has no emotions. A spirit, at least in my understanding of it, and, you know, for all you theologians out there who want to criticize this following statement, you knock yourself out. But my understanding is angels are capable of emotions. So, take the implacableness. Take, take the single-minded devotion. Uh, the single-minded duty to your destruction and add in the human element of hatred, despair, um, you know, take all, all that and add, add in the human element in, into the part that isn't human. And you've got an enemy that is more, you know, Quite frankly, I can't think of anything that should be respected. And when I say respected, I don't mean worshipped. I just mean you respect something that's deadly. If somebody comes to my house with an M60 and points it at me and says, I'm going to shoot you, I'm going to respect the fact that he's got a machine gun and is willing to use it on me. That's, that's when I say respect, that's what I'm talking about. Okay. Um, but I, you know, Satan makes the Terminator, quite frankly, Satan makes the Terminator look like Mr. Rogers. Okay. He makes Satan look like Mr. Rogers. All right. Because there's the added element of the human in there. When a machine kills you, you know, I'm, I'm sure you've heard the old mob saying nothing personal. Literally with a machine, nothing personal. <laughs> you know, this is what I was programmed to do. This is what I do. You know, sucks that you have to die, but you have to die. Um, on the other hand, when you're talking about the, you know, with uh, things that 
that human beings have such as emotion, when you have emotion added into this deadly being, it makes it personal. And let me tell you something. Satan is very, very personal. His hatred is personal. His, the, the, the things that he does to you is very personal. You know, I, I don't think that this gets enough play, quite frankly, in religious circles. You know, people talk about the personal love of God, and the personal love of God is real. It does exist. But the hatred of Satan is also real. And, you know, like I said, you theologians out there, you five-cent theologians out there want to go after me, go ahead. The, the, the hatred that Satan has for the human race is very personal. And like, like I said, God's love is personalized. And when I say personalized, as your creator, he knows you intimately. His love for you is intimate. Well, Satan's, Satan, he doesn't quite have the powers of God, but he knows enough of you that his hatred for you is very personal. Very personal. That's how he's able to use your personal weaknesses against you because he knows you better than, you know, anybody that you know. Okay. So this is going to go a little longer than I anticipated. Um, but this needs to be said. I'm going to say a few more words and then I'm going to go into the second part of this little rant I'm having. So, okay, we know that Satan is ancient. We know that Satan was one of the first creations that God made when he, you know, when, when, oh, I, I don't know the timeline, whether he made the angels first or if he made, uh, he made the earth first. My understanding, this is just my limited understanding is, is that he made the angels first. And then he made man afterward. So we're talking about creatures that have existed for as long, for time immemorial, they've existed so, and, and like I said, these are not human beings. They're not finite. They don't die. So these guys have been around from the beginning. So they've seen it all. They, you know, they've seen it all. Literally, they have seen it all. Okay. And any good military commander will know, will tell you that experience, you, you can have an, uh, uh, a military commander who who probably doesn't know his elbow from a salute, but if he's got military experience, he's going to be he he's going to give you a run for your money because he he knows weapons, he knows tactics, you know. He he might he might not know grand strategy, but he'll he'll know how to put the hurting on you. And he'll do it if he gets a chance. 
Okay, so we know he's ancient. Now, and, and this is where I'm going to go into my second part. Um, I'm going to say this, and then I'm going to move on. If you are on political internet, you're going to hear the term 4D warfare. And basically, for those of you, for that kind of thing you ain't interested in, I'm going to give you a brief, a brief explanation. Basically, 4D warfare means four-dimensional warfare. Now, as soon as I heard about this four-dimensional warfare, um, I didn't look into it. I kind of had an idea of what the people who put out this particular idea were shooting for. And to me... Anybody who's ever been in the military under, instinctively, when they hear the term four-dimensional warfare, they kind of they, they might not be able to tell you the nuts and bolts of how it works, but they'll 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 have an understanding of how this works. Okay. Um but you'll you'll hear the term thrown around four-dimensional warfare. Well, Satan works under the proper, or I'm sorry, Satan works under the same idea. And I'm going to get into this in the next part. So hang tight, guys. Thank you. Okay, so I'm back. We're going to talk about 4D wealth uh, warfare. As I said before, um, the people that put out the podcasts and the YouTube videos were talking about secular 40, 40 well, uh, warfare that could also be applied to spiritual warfare. Um, having, uh, having said that, the first Dimension of spiritual warfare obviously is spiritual. And because it's spiritual, it's the first principle. The one thing you need to know about your enemy is he's going to under-promise and over-deliver. Um, you know, um, and because he is ancient and, 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 and has... Um, supernatural intelligence if you're trying to be pious and when i say pious i just mean you're trying to live god's god's uh god's uh rule as you understand it he's going to attack you where you're the weakest and um I, I may I may entitle this the principles of spiritual warfare. I'm not sure yet, but um, like I said, the principles of spiritual warfare can be closely linked with the principles of um of uh, sex, uh, secular warfare they can they can be linked to the the to the to the principles of secular warfare you just have to know how to make make the connections between secular and uh, spiritual
But it is the principle of warfare. You strike your enemy where he's weakest. So if you have a problem with lust, you're going to get attacked with your lust. If you have a, uh, a weakness in your pride, he's going to attack you on your pride. If you have a, um, a weakness with your greed, he's going to attack you with greed. And these, these forms and attacks take many different forms. You know, it depends on the time and the circumstances. Another, uh, but, but always remember, like I said, he's going to overpromise and underdeliver. He's, he's, he's going to offer you what seems like this, this beautiful once-in-a-lifetime opportunity, or at least a golden opportunity. Maybe not a once-in-a-lifetime opportunity, but a golden opportunity. And you'll take it, and it turns out that your situation is worse off than you were before. I'm sure you guys can relate. Um, another thing you want to do, another principle about your enemy you do not want to fall into is underestimating. You know, um, I don't know how many Protestant I didn't know some of these people personally, but you could just watch them, you know, um, because they were public figures. And, you know, they started out small. They started out small, you know, little church out in the middle of nowhere. And the next thing you know, they were preaching to congregations of millions of people, rich, famous, you know, whatever. And what did Satan do? Satan took their natural weaknesses and brought them down. And believe me, when you fall by Satan, it, it, it's going to be a, probably one of the hardest falls. And seeing since how a lot of our falls are, are in this earth, um, they, they all seem hard, you know, when we fall, but... If, if you're trying to be pious, they're, 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 by the way, I just want to make the distinction. There's a difference between if you're just living your life, if you're just living your life and you're not trying to be holy or nothing, and you fall, yeah, it's going to be tough. You know, let's just say you're not a religious guy and you marry some skank that you met in a bar and she divorces you, takes the kids and runs off with the dishwashing man. You know, that's tough. But it's even tougher if you were actually trying to be holy. And in this case, maybe it wasn't some skank you met in a bar. Maybe it was a girl you met in church. And she uh, divorces you, takes the kids, soaks you for alimony and child support, and then uh, runs off with uh, a more successful person. That, that is going to be very hard. Or, as I just said in the previous case, you know, you're some preacher, you're a Protestant preacher. And by the way, you know, when I raise Protestant preachers, I'm not saying they're actual Christians. I'm just saying, though, they think that they're working for God. And um, they go from uh, a small church in a one-horse town 
to a mega church in a, in a big city with millions of followers, and then they get caught up in some scandal, and then the whole world turns against them. That's going to be harder than if they've been just some mechanic or lawyer who was just, you know, leading a totally and completely secular life. So don't underestimate your enemy. I mean, and by the way, this also applies not just to warfare, but in secular, um, the secular realms. If you're at a basketball game and you're drunk and feeling your oats, don't dump your cup of beer on a basketball player who's five inches taller than you and about, oh, I don't know, maybe about 30 pounds heavier, heavier than you and it's all muscle, <laughs> you know. You you know, most most smart people wouldn't do that. But I do realize there are people that do challenge what they call um, Darwin's law. <laughs> Another thing you want to do is is. Um, another, another another thing you want to do is, is you want to you want to fight for the right cause. In other words, those of you who are, who know military history, and, and I, I don't even think I need to say those of you who know military history, those of you who have gone to a history class in high school know the tale of the, the World War II Germans. Those were probably some of the best soldiers and by the way, it's just not the World War II Germans. There have been other armies in history who, who have been really good. I'm just using these guys in particular because they're blatant. The World War II Germans were probably some of the best soldiers in the 20th century. Yet they ended up getting horribly stomped in the end. Now... The reason I'm using these guys in particular is because, um, forget the politics. Well, actually, the politics do kind of have something to do with it. But I, I could use the Russians, but quite frankly, I don't think the Russians were really as, as technically proficient in warfare as the Germans at that time. They just, they had a lot of help. They had a lot of help and they had a ruthless leader and that's what got them through World War II. Um, but the Germans, and this is, this is what was particularly bad about the World War II Germans. A lot of those guys weren't even Nazis. You know, I, I don't care what the propagandists say. Your average German soldier, I'm not talking SS guy, I'm talking your average World War II, uh, World War II German soldier did not care about Hitler or about Nazism. They didn't. But because that was the flag and the banner that they were under, they went ahead and fought. And, you know, um, these guys, like I said, um, if history's your thing, but you're unfamiliar 
with the details of World War II. And quite frankly, in this day and age, I don't see how you can be unfamiliar. But let's just say you are. These guys fought heroically against impossible odds. Now, in, in the end, they lost because, this, you know, the card was stacked. Uh, I'm sorry, the deck was stacked against them. They ended up losing. But that does not take away against their bravery and their tenacity. It does not take away from them. But ultimately, ultimately, they were fighting for a bad cause. Okay, they were fighting for an unjust cause. And God is not going to bless an unjust cause. Now, you know, I don't want to get into the whole, well, then why did the allies win? <laughs> I don't want to get into that. What I'm saying is in, in the spiritual battle, or yeah, in spiritual warfare, there are, there, are many, there are many different flags you can fight under. You can fly under the atheist flag. Well, no, I, I already said this has nothing to do with atheism. Okay, so you can fly under the Protestant flag. You can fly under the Eastern Orthodox flag. You can fly under the Vatican II flag. Or you can fly under pre-Vatican II Catholicism. And I know that I've mentioned this time and time and time again. But it bears repeating. Who or what you fight under is going to determine your win or loss spiritually. You don't have to like it. It's true, though. The cause you fight under is ultimately the, the righteousness and whether or not you ultimately become a victor is going to depend on um, under what flag are you going to are you going to fight under? And the reason I bring up this aspect, and once again, I brought this up in a previous episode, your um, this is warfare, okay? So if you're fighting for a cause spiritually now that does not have God's blessing, you're already starting to fight lost because you're not going to have the proper weapons. You're not going to have the proper leadership and you're not going to have the proper training to deal with the spiritual crises, you know, the warfare, the actual meat and potatoes of, of what you need to do to win the battle. You, know, you Protestants out there, and, and you Vatican II people, you don't have to like what I'm saying, but ultimately it's the truth. You're not, you're not going to win that battle. And while we're at it, I want to make clear, because I'm getting ready to wrap up here real soon. I want to make it clear that this is not your battle. I mean, it's your battle in the sense that it's personal. You're trying to get to heaven. You're trying to get to heaven and you're trying to serve God. So it's personal on that end. But 
the reason uh, what I'm trying to say here is, is is that there's no egoism here because what you're attempting to do is not on your own merits. It's not on your own merits. It's not on your own effort. On on natural terms, you cannot take on supernatural beings and a supernatural being who is the most uh, under God is pretty pretty powerful on your own as a human being. You don't have the resources. You're toast. It's like that dude that stood in front of the Chinese tank at Tiananmen Square. You know, I don't know what happened after that picture was taken. But in spiritual terms, if you try to stand in front of Satan's tank, you're going to get run over by yourself, by yourself. If you stand in front of Satan's tank by yourself, you're going to get run over. So this is why it's important to pick the right flag. You know, um, if, if you're not... If you're not under the right flag, God may condescend to try to nudge you in the right direction to get under the right flag, but you cannot be presumptuous and think that it's automatically going to happen or that your side is the right side. But I, I you know, I've covered this. This is this is a rant. Basically what I'm what I'm going to shorten this down to is is that God, God is your napalm strike. God is your extra division in reserve. God is your, um, is your Apache attack in the middle, in the middle of a very strong spiritual attack. So, you know, basically, you need to be close to that support. You need to be close to that support. And you need to use the weapons, the leadership, and the um and the tactics that he gives you. Okay. Um that's another thing too. Well, I'm talking about tactics now. Pre-Vatican II um, spiritual teachings, spiritual books, they, they call it um, the spiritual life. These, these are, for, for, for spiritual warfare, these are, these are your copy of the art of war. These are your copy of On War by von Clausewitz. These these are your your manuals of tactics and and strategy on how you are going to take the fight to the devil. These are your books. Okay? Now I I seem to have lost, I ain't going to lie, I seem to have lost in the second part of this, in, in this uh, rant, I seem to have lost my focus. 
But basically, what I wanted to do was to show the parallels between uh, secular and spiritual warfare. And these things can be expounded upon. These things can be expounded upon. So, you know, um, basically, you know, I, I guess, I guess I've lost, I've, I've lost my initial push from the initial rant because everything that I've been covering up until this rant, I've covered. Well, I mean, outside of pre-Vatican II Catholicism, because that's that's gonna be that that's gonna be your armory right there. You know that that's gonna be your armory. That's gonna be your warfare library. Because it's going to teach you about your enemy. It's going to teach you how to fight him. And it's going to teach you why you fight. Now, in today's modern era, when, uh, when nations go to war, when a nation has a doctrine of why they fight, they call it propaganda. I find propaganda, at least in the spiritual realm, to be... A very crass term. Because. To me. And this is just my opinion. Propaganda. Is just a lie to agree upon by millions. It doesn't necessarily have to be true. It just has to be a lie. That's all agreed to. By millions of people. That make it. Make it easier. To, to fight. Whereas. Um, the fight in the spiritual realm, it's, it's not propaganda. It's the actual truth. It's the spiritual truth. And before I close this out, I've been thinking about this lately and I want to get this out there. Millions of men have died for an idea say, country, a political idea. And these, these ideas, at the end of the day, mean nothing. Because if, if you're a soldier from any era that died for a particular country at a particular time, you're, you know... um your bravery cannot be questioned. But what's the end result? If you didn't have a right result, if you didn't have, if you weren't, if you weren't fighting for God Almighty, if you weren't fighting for his kingdom, you died in vain. No matter how bravely you fought, you died in vain. And me personally, I would rather die for something like heaven, for Jesus Christ and his mother. I'd rather die for those causes than, you know, the United States, um, republicanism, liberalism. 
These things, these things are not permanent. You know, maybe, you know, I don't know how history is going to turn out. But I don't think in another 500 years, people are going to remember republicanism, libertarianism, communism. I don't think they're going to remember all that. These things are passing. They're like dust in the wind. The thing that will always exist is God is, is heaven, God's kingdom in heaven. And 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 he himself and his heavenly kingdom and his mother. These are the things that are going to they're going to live on for time immortal. I'd rather die for that than anything else. I'm sorry, guys. I'm sorry that this pettered out. Um, I started out fired up, and I guess one of my weaknesses is, is I like to, I like to, I like to wander, and I like to go deep in the weeds, and I, I get easily distracted. Um, just remember, though, you're in a spiritual battle, man. Oh, and just as an added, or I'm sorry, just as the last thing. Remember that when I started this 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 rant, I was talking about the movie The Warriors. Um, what I what I like in the spiritual life, you know, and I, this has got to be God's providence that's talking here. At the end of the movie, that gang that gang that got caught in in Central Park. And everybody was out to get them. They eventually made it home. And I liken Life on Earth to that movie, The Warriors, in an imperfect way, obviously. We're caught in enemy territory. Now, they were heading for the Bronx with a bunch of... of, uh, Hostile people trying to kill them before they got home. Now, um, we're trying to get home. And there are people trying to kill us, except these, obviously, you know, people will kill us and stuff, but that's, that's not what I'm getting at here. What I'm saying is, we have people trying to keep us from getting home. They're called demons. They're called demons. And maybe they can't kill us physically. They can kill us spiritually, though. And so our ultimate goal is to get to heaven spiritually alive. Okay, guys. That's it. I'm done. Um, thank you for listening. God bless you. I'm praying for you. And please, please, if there are any of you out there um, who, 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 who believe in God, please pray for me too. I'm not, I'm not, I'm not so, so proud as to not to ask for prayers from other people. Please pray for me because you guys aren't the only one under spiritual attack. So, take care, guys. Have a good day. Bye-bye.